Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading Women in Tech. It is Tony here, your career bestie. Today, we're going to dive into a subject that I wish none of us ever needed to tackle, but sadly, far more of you than I wish do have to tackle this one, which is why I've invited my new dear friend. She's new in my life, but this woman is just a phenomenal person to know, and I am so delighted that she's in my life And I'm so honored that she can come and share her words of wisdom with you on the show today and talk about her project as well, her new company, which I truly believe could be a bit of a game changer. It's why I wanted to get her on here. But my friend Danae Shell is co-founder and CEO of Vala, which is a legal platform for employees. What does that mean? Well, she's going to dig into this a little bit, but let me give you an overview. If you've ever felt like, oh gosh, do I need to do something about this in terms of employer-employee relations at work? And maybe thought, gosh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know if this is something I can challenge. And I definitely don't have money for a lawyer. That is what Valor is trying to tackle. And Danae, as co-founder of Valor, is passionate about putting people's rights back in their own hands. She's starting with employees. She's got big dreams and aspirations for going well beyond just employee rights. This woman is a powerhouse. She's also a techie, a software developer by training. (laughs) You're going to hear all about her, but she started off in Tennessee. She doesn't have a Tennessean accent anymore. I thought that was fascinating when I first met her. She lives actually just down the road from me in Scotland. I did not know that when I invited her on the show and now we get to meet for lunch. That's a rarity with where I live. (laughs) Um, She moved into blogging, marketing, and now she is CEO and obviously an executive. So she's got a fascinating story all of her own. And alongside that, she's going to be offering you some advice today for if the worst happens in your career, hopefully it won't, but if it does, or if it has, hopefully she's going to be able to offer you some tools and insights to help you take the next step forward. So without further ado, let's get Danae onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, This is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Welcome to the show, Danae. It's so great to have you on here. I've been waiting for this since we first met. Oh, thank you, Tony. I'm very excited to be here. This is going to be a seriously exciting conversation. To the listeners out there, when I first met Danae, like within about... 30 seconds, I was like, this is my kind of lady. <laughs> I think I think we're like besties who hadn't met until just a few weeks ago. And I am so excited to share with you her career journey, the highs and lows, and a few little nuggets of wisdom for your career. So without further ado, Danae, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey, highlights, lowlights, and why you're now passionate about helping women and marginalized groups access legal services in their career? Absolutely. Yeah. I um, So I'll start with probably when I left Tennessee. So I'm from Tennessee originally, um, the East, East Tennessee, the mountains, the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And um, I decided pretty early on that I didn't want to stay there. And 
did a college degree in political science and got really interested in electronic government and ended up getting an internship in Edinburgh in Scotland where I could actually build um, e-petitioning systems back when they had just gotten started. And I got really excited about that and asked them, can I have a job? Can I stay here? And they were like, yeah, yeah, come on back. It's cool. So I came back, did a master's with them, kept building um, online democracy and platforms, and then ended up getting poached away to a fintech company where I was a software engineer. And then at that fintech company, I got really interested in this new blogging thing that had just come out at the time. <laughs> and this new idea of um, ads, online ads. Google had just released AdSense. And at the same time, I had gotten really interested in lingerie. So I was like, well, I'm going to start a lingerie blog. So I did that and grew it to be like the number one lingerie blog for like five years. Oh, wow! Yeah, it was uh, it was a really, really exciting time in digital marketing and um, SEO and things like that. And based off of that, I ended up getting another job with um, a startup who wanted someone to build out their content strategy, their SEO strategy, and a bunch of stuff like analytics and things, all of which I had done. So I joined that company and worked with them for six years and then was officially a marketer. And I had somehow transitioned into marketing there and then have stayed that course. Um, I met my co-founder, Kate, at that company. It was called Free Agent. And we just worked so well together. She came in to build the product team and I um, was there helping to build the marketing team. And we stayed friends and went on to do some other kind of leadership and executive roles separately. And what we found was that as we got more um, senior in our roles is we also became more rare, um, particularly for Kate, um, as she's also from Hong Kong. And we also found that we started to see a lot of problems um, with discrimination, sexual harassment, bullying. People would come to us looking for support and advocacy, or we experienced some problems ourselves, and we just didn't know what to do. And we kept seeing the cycle of the, always end, the stories always ended with, so then she just left. And often, you know, careers were held back. People were traumatized. It was just so, it just really pissed us off. Mm. So, so we actually then started digging into this and we said, no, we, we think we can actually make a difference here. So that's why Vala started is because we were that angry about the story that we kept hearing and wanted to change it. And the big problem that we saw was that not enough people can actually afford to fight back because lawyers have just become so unaffordable and it's not like anybody's got more money in their pockets than they did last year. And so um, we have been building a platform to help people represent themselves in these kinds of situations from early stage problems all the way through to the legal side of it. So that's a little whistle-stop tour. Mm, yeah. Um, I had not realized that you'd built e-petition platforms and stuff like that. Like, what a fascinating career. And also going from software engineering to marketing and now being a co-founder of a tech business I, I love that because so many of us think, oh, I didn't do X, Y, Z. I can't possibly do Y. And I think you epitomize, as many of my many of my guests on the show really do, that there is no one journey. Like, well, what made you go from being a software engineer into marketing? Really, it was because I didn't like the engineering team that I was at at the time. Ooh. And I'm a little impulsive. And I decided <laughs> that I wanted, I mean, I'd been... I didn't know anything other than software engineering. I, I taught myself to code on like an Apple IIe when I was like a kid. <laughs> and, 
And so at the time, I didn't really realize that I was transitioning out of it. I just decided to become a webmaster, as they called them at the time. And then suddenly the webmaster sat in the marketing team, which meant that I didn't have to be in the engineering team I didn't like. And so that was fine. I was happy with that. And then because of Knickers, which was the lingerie blog, I learned all this digital marketing. And so then I think a recruiter had contacted me or I had somehow have heard about the free agent role. And I thought, well, I work in a marketing team now. Does that mean I'm a marketer? So yeah, careers are not, like they are so fluid, especially nowadays. Like jobs that people will have in five years, the title doesn't even exist yet. A hundred percent, yeah, so true. Well, let's go back to Violet because that's why I've got you on the show today. I think um, you've got an amazing idea here that you're creating with Kate, your co-founder. So can you give us like the overview? What is Valor? What's your mission statement? Because I found that really very inspiring and also heartbreaking. But tell us more about what you're doing. Absolutely. So in a nutshell, what we do is we help people stand up to their racist or sexist bosses. Like if I was to summarize it in um, layman's terms, that's exactly how I would start. And what that really means is that we give people the tools that they need in order to resolve a situation themselves rather than having to either pay a lawyer thousands of pounds, which would be great if you can afford it. Like we often describe ourselves as IKEA for law. If you can afford to get a carpenter to build you a beautiful kitchen, then you should pay the carpenter. You will get a wonderful kitchen. But if you can't, then at least IKEA exists and you can do it mm-hmm. yourself with some instructions. That's that's who we're for, the people who can't but still want to get it done. And I'll give you some examples of how this works. So we help people regularly who um, have dealt with a really scary situation at work. So maybe they were dismissed and they think it was illegal because it was something. One woman that spoke to us, she had raised an issue about race at work. And she went from the star to new team member to persona non grata immediately. And then within two weeks of raising that issue, she was dismissed for really bogus reasons. And she was like, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. And we were like, yeah, that that sounds pretty illegal. So she used some of the, um, she used the evidence collection tool to forward in all of the emails, everything that she had seen. She then generated her documents that she needed to actually fight that internally. And when they didn't play ball, then she used a couple other letters that we had to add some pressure And one of them is a letter that said, hey, I want to settle with you. Here's the claim that I think I have if I took this to court. You don't want to go to court. It's a lot of money for you. It's a reputational risk. So why don't you settle with me for this amount? And she did. Um, We've um, had a few settlements through the platform now. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. We empower people to represent themselves. And we're starting with employment law because we understand that the most. But then we want to branch out to all of the areas of law where marginalized people in particular are hit the hardest. So family, housing, immigration, you know, these these are all areas where legal support is really not great. And yet people are suffering with problems like this day to day. Mm. And the thing that really gets me, if you think about the mission statement, we want to create accountability in these systems. We want employers to be accountable for their behavior and the behavior of their employees. Because we think, and eventually we want landlords to be accountable. That's, you know, the next area. Because we think that the only, well, one of the ways that we can actually create change in these systems is by introducing accountability. We don't, so if you think about the carrot and the stick, DEI training is the carrot, we are the stick. (laughs) 
Yeah, and you you have to have the carrot and the stick, right? I well, I'd like to think that we didn't need the stick, but I'm well, the world isn't there yet, if you see what I mean, <laughs> to not to not have it. I mean, it's heartbreaking we need something like this, but my experience of being a coach for women in tech, there are, I'd say, nine out of ten of the women I work with have experienced some form of harassment or worse. And I think sometimes I think the 10%, they just haven't seen it yet because some of these are micro behaviors. It's still harassment, but it's small and we dismiss it because society has told us to not make a fuss our entire lives. Do you think that's one of the barriers going on here that we're told to just carry on and stomach it? Oh, absolutely. Most of the people that make it to Vala, make it to the point where they're ready to take action, have held on to something for so long thinking, it's my fault. I'm making a big fuss out of nothing. I'm, you know, I'm being dramatic. I should be able to handle this. And I've been there myself. Like I was bullied for a year and a half before I even knew to label it bullying. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought it was my fault. And we we meet a lot of people that the who are just out of that phase because the impact of that, the impact of holding all of that in is that it really starts to affect your wellness. You start to have panic attacks. You start to get digestive problems. It comes in your body all sorts of different ways. And then it's harder to ignore. And then people decide to do something about it. We are trying to, we've got a hypothesis of how we can reach people in those earlier stages. Because really, once you've labeled the problem, am I being bullied? You can Google it and then you can find us. Mm. But in those earlier stages, you're probably just going to talk to some friends, if that, maybe some colleagues. So that's why we created Discrimination First Aid, which is just like mental health first aiders. It's this idea of let's put, let's train people in the workplace who recognize what discrimination looks like, who recognize those early signs and who can then can say, look, I'm here to help or I think something might be going on. Is there anything I can do to help? And they're not just trained in the legal side of it as a first responder, but they're also trained, you know, with some really emotional and ethical stuff like checking their own privilege and being trauma informed in the way that they support people. So that's how we're hopefully um, going to help the people who don't yet know what's wrong. They just know that something's wrong. That is beautiful. Um, I'd actually love for you to share a little bit more about this discrimination first aid. Uh, how can people get involved in it? Um, what does it you know, train you in? Is it for everybody, anybody? Is it for just women? our allies, any other groups? Like, tell us a bit more about that because I think this is a get, bit of a game changer in the workplace potentially. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited about it. Um, so you can find out about it at discriminationfirstaid.com. Right now, the training is for UK businesses, but we're operating a wait list for US companies as well. So we'll have something on our website that you would see where you can put in your email address if you're in the US and you're interested. And when, and it's for anyone who wants to be a better ally at work. So that could be, you know, anyone really. But I think that's the one thing that holds all of the different first aiders together is that they want to improve their allyship. You also get a lot of people who want to better understand their own rights as a secondary part of that. So we get a great mix of um, all kinds of genders, all kinds of ethnicities um, and Often what we hear over and over is either someone has gone through something and they want to be able to prevent something like that happening to other people, 
or they've seen something happen. And this, was, this is why I created Discrimination First Aid. There was a particularly awful example of someone coming to me pretty early in my career and saying, this terrible thing has happened. And I didn't know what to do. And I froze. Mm, yeah. And I still think about that. And I just wish that younger Danae had known what I know now. And so that's why it exists. And a lot of people come to us because of that as well, because they'd love, they'd love a do-over and they want to be prepared for next time. Yeah. Do you think that this work that you're doing, both the Discrimination First Day and also the deeper work of actually supporting people through the early stages of legal proceedings, essentially, is this going to help us retain more women in tech? What's your take on that? I hope so. And I think the way that we... I think the way that it will do that is because we are creating accountability for employers. So whereas before, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of what they call bad apples. Usually it's terrible managers or terrible business practices, but it's often a person and they're just protected forever. <laughs> yes, they they're allowed to because they're a superstar or something like that. I hate that phrase. Yes. We can't possibly because. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, I've heard... So many uh, women in particular who say, you know, I just worry for the next person who takes that job. And what we are helping to create is a real disincentive to keep that person there. Because it's not just a case of, you know, like, oh, there's a signal here that their, you know, their colleagues keep quitting around them and they're mostly women. That's, you know, you can dismiss that. But if the colleagues are actually explicitly sending very professional, very robust statements detailing exactly what this person had done and asking for real change. Like that is when companies stand up and take notice. Like my, my dream is for the risk of, you know, having to pay out a settlement, having to deal with all of these problems becomes something that they have to start putting on their like financial forecast because we've started making it actually matter in the financial sense, not just in the kind of reputational sense or whatever. So I think that's how we're going to help women stay in tech, because hopefully we'll keep away those terrible people who keep making them resign and burn out and, you know, go off and leave their career because they just think, geez, this isn't for me anymore. Mm. Um, and, and just so we're clear on this, I know discrimination first aid is not available yet in the US, but it will be soon. But your other work, the work behind Valor, is that available outside the UK at this time? So the yes and no. So what we don't have available outside of the UK is the legal support side. But what we do have available for everyone in any country, and it's free, is that evidence collection, that timeline building, that document management. So if someone's going through something right now and they're like, I just want to get this straight in my head then they can use Valor right now to do that. And that's actually in and of itself very useful because the way, like, let's be clear here, we're talking about trauma. When yeah. all these terrible things happen at work, it creates trauma. And one thing about trauma is your memory doesn't work right when it comes to traumatic incidents. It all floats around in your head. There's this book called The Body Keeps the Score and it talks about how stories with trauma don't have a beginning, a middle and the end. They just kind of, float around. And one of the things that you can do when you're trying to piece this together is use Vala to actually just give it a beginning, a middle and an end. Because if you get to the end, then hopefully that'll help you start actually processing it. And then you can decide what you want to do about it. So yeah, they, anyone please go and check out vala.uk 
and you can create a free account and you can use it for evidence collection. You can use it to map out that story of what happened, forward all your evidence in, and then tell us if you're in another country and you want something because we want to hear about it. The more, the more we get people coming to us saying, I want this, the easier it is for us to um, actually be able to go and do that. Mm. Uh, well, let's chat a little bit about the three stages that I know you've spoken to me about this privately, and I want to bring this to this conversation because you mentioned to me that people go through three stages when they're considering that something's going wrong, something's not right, all the way through to like what to do about it. Can you describe those three stages and hopefully, well, I I hope not actually, but the reality is if somebody's feeling this way, I hope they can see where they are on this path. I just I wish that nobody felt this way. I know. I know. I wish my job didn't have to exist. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked to hundreds of people now and we've we did a lot of customer research um, when we were trying to understand, you know, we knew what the problem was at the high level. Right. But we didn't know how what we might build to actually try and help people. And so we spent a long time mapping out this um, this journey of what happens. And that first stage, we call it the is this legal stage. And because often people ask, you know, is that legal? Can they do that? Is that allowed? And often that stage is characterized by people. They know something is wrong. They still probably think it's their fault. Um, often they do. Often they think it's their fault that they're making a fuss. They should be able to handle this. They're being dramatic, whatever. They, um, they're often told that it's their fault. Sometimes they're being gaslit if they're being bullied. They're being, oh, don't be so sensitive or something like that. And they, the real need that we've identified at that first stage is validation and labeling. Mm. So labeling is the most important part of that first stage, because once you can name what's happening to you, you can then, it just opens up this whole world of possibilities where you can decide what you want to do about it. You can Google it, you can talk to friends about it, but it's really hard to name this kind of horrible miasma, especially when your brain's kind of skittering away from it because it doesn't really want to deal with it. So a lot of what we do with Discrimination First Aid, the content that we produce is we try and help people name what's happening to them. And that could be the legal term. Often we focus on the legal term because that gives you a lot of power when you move into the next stage. Or it could just be bullying. Bullying often isn't illegal. It's just absolutely terrible. So we try to help people name what's happening to them. And that in and of itself helps validate, yes, this is real. This is actually happening. It's not okay. And that is a hugely powerful step. Then once they've named it, then they can move into the what are my options stage. And that's where they start to say, okay, well, what can I do about this? I'm being bullied and I think there's a racial element to it for example or I think I went on maternity leave and they're hiring someone above me I'm being demoted because I'm on maternity leave another really common one mm. here then you can start to assess okay well how do I want to handle this do I want to leave like that is a perfectly valid option at any stage do I want to leave but with money because I need money to tide me over into my next role uh, do I want to fight this? Do I want that promotion that they held back from me unfairly? Whatever it is, you label your goal and then we've got a set of kind of action options that you can take. Everything from filing a complaint at work. And then we've got a few other kind of like tools in our tool bag that help you ramp up the pressure. And really all of this is about understanding what your leverage is and showing your employer, look, I don't want to have to take you to court because I can take you to court for free in the UK. It's not going to cost me anything to represent myself. I don't have to file any 
um, don't have to pay any money to the court or anything, but it's going to cost you a ton of money in lawyers and your reputation's on the line. But look, I've shown you, I've got all the professional documents. I know what I'm doing, so you should just pay me or you should just give me that promotion that you should have given me in the first place. So we build up that leverage. And then if that doesn't work, then we move into getting justice. And that's where you actually pull the trigger on the legal option. It's very rare to get to that stage. Often people resolve it in that middle stage, but we think it's so important that people have the option. They know that they can go all the way through because that's where they can approach this whole thing with confidence, with mm. power and with that real leverage. It's interesting there, you said that in the UK, you can go to court as an individual for free. I didn't actually know that. Um, but I know that some of our discussion prior to hitting record was about actually the costs associated with legal challenges. Obviously, you mentioned right at the beginning of the show about, you know, legal, like the actual legal fees. Yes. Having a lawyer to represent you, that's one of the reasons you do what you do. It's just too expensive. But I know that you've also said that part of the problem is the UK legal structure not reimbursing legal fees. Can you explain that a little bit? And also, can you explain what the difference is with the US and how it might play out over there if somebody did decide to get legal assistance to help them through this? Absolutely. I think uh, the point about it being free is it's most people don't feel like they can actually go to employment tribunal in the UK on their own, but the tribunals were actually set up to allow people to do that. And it's still not that easy. So that's why VALA exists. So it's more straightforward to do it with VALA and you don't have to pay the tribunal. That's the free part. A lot of people think that they have to have a lawyer to go to tribunal. Mm. And when yeah, you, I would have thought so. Yeah. And you don't, you really don't. It's, um, it's set up in a way that people can represent themselves. They just don't have any tools, which is why we exist. So, but if they did have a lawyer, you know, that's minimum 5,000, 6,000 pounds could easily go into the tens of thousands of pounds. And the difficult thing in the UK is that if you win your case, you don't get to win your costs back. So the employer doesn't have to pay your costs of all those legal fees. There are a few occasions mm -hmm. where you can argue for it, but it's, it's rare. That's the, that's the second time you told me that, and I'm still like gobsmacked that that's the case. Yeah. I'm like, what? Anyway, sorry, yeah. carry on so with your explanation okay. here. Oh, but in America, that's not the case. In America, if mm. you do win an employment case, my understanding is that you can win your costs back. And so what that does mean is that people can represent themselves, but they also have more legal options because you get lawyers who are willing to operate on contingency. They're willing to say, okay, I think this has a good ch chance of winning, so I will represent you because I think I'll get my fees back from the other side. Mm -hmm. So you do have options there as well in the States. Um, yeah, it's, it's more like a spectrum of affordability, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. I think in America, the difficulty would be more finding that lawyer who is willing to assess the case, thinks you can win it and then take it forward. Whereas in the UK, it's much more finding a lawyer that you could actually afford or deciding, actually, I'm going to do it myself, which you could do in either case. Mm. Well, I want to ask you one more slightly depressing question. Um, and then we're going to move on to something a little bit lighter. But what is your number one piece of advice to a woman in tech listening to the show if she is experiencing some form of toxic work environment, what would you ask her to do? What would you suggest that she does next? I think two things. Um, I think in any situation like that, the first understanding is know what your rights are because that gives you power and leverage. 
So, you know, Google your area employee rights and it doesn't take long. There's good guidance in, you know, everywhere has good guidance online about what your rights are and start to try and pattern match, try and label what's happening to you. If you think there's an illegal element to it, that gets you a lot more leverage. I think the second big key part of this is to get yourself into the mindset of how to resolve it. And that's not a mindset of apology. It's, it's very rare to get an apology from an employer. Mm-hmm. It's very rare to get an apology from a terrible boss. Cash, promotion, the job that you wanted, all of those things are much more likely to actually happen. Not having to report into that manager anymore, that's much more likely to actually happen. So set a goal like that and then think about your leverage. Think about what the employer doesn't want to have to deal with and then make it easy for them to choose what you want. And that's a lot of what we do at Vala. We have an action toolkit. If you Google Vala action toolkit, we walk you through the steps of how to understand your leverage and then act on it. And then the third step is just follow the process that shows them, give them professional documents, show them that you could go to court if you wanted to. You're just trying to help them out by not going. And you never have to go to court. That's the thing. Most people never do. You just have to show them that you know how to do it and that you could. And I will make sure for listeners that all the links we're talking about today are in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to go and check any of this stuff out or you just want to figure out whether this applies to you, go to the show notes in your favorite podcast player or on my website and click on any of the links that you think might help you. But let's move on to something a little bit more cheerful. Well, it's a quick fire round. Some of it's a bit depressing, the first question, but some of it's a bit more cheerful. (laughs) Um, First question. What is, some of these are funny, mind you, but what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Give up. I've had... Oh, that is depressing. Yeah, I've had the same advice um, a few times where people said, that's just going to be too hard. You're not well-placed to do it. You should just give up. Um, Some of them, when we decided to start Vala, I had very well-meaning people saying, why don't you just try to do something a little bit easier? I got a lot of, why don't you try to do something a little bit easier? And um, and that really pissed me off. <laughs> but I used it. I absolutely used it. Spike-based mm. career development is a very real thing. <laughs> 100%. One of the reasons I ask this question to basically everybody comes on the show is because I think most of us have a story mm. of where we are today based on that worst piece of advice. Yeah. I think quite often it was a catalyst for something better. And can I just say, I'm very, very glad that this, <laughs> that you have driven forward and you've created Valor. So if that person was put on this planet to antagonize you, to make you do it, then hey-ho, <laughs> maybe they just have a little bit of a round of applause and be told never to do it again. Um, <laughs> there's always a silver lining. I look for a silver Absolutely. lining in everything. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I'm torn between two, so I'll tell you both. One is network like it's your job because it is, it's actually your only job. And I can't tell you how much of what we have achieved through Vala is because for about two years, 2018 to 2020, I networked like it was my job. I just completely focused on building out my network. And a lot of what we've achieved now has been paying off the dividends from that networking Mm. work. So that is absolutely key. And the other one was, There's a woman, she's now a VP of engineering at Twitter. Her name's Maria Gutierrez. And she gave this amazing talk. I've I've worked with her as well about how she planned her career. 
So she knew that she wanted to get to a certain role and she made a big tick list of all of the skills and all of the experiences that she would need in order to achieve getting hired for that role and to do it well. And then she said, okay, well, where am I now against all of those different things? And then what jobs do I need and what do I need from each of those jobs? So I decided five years before I became a CEO that I wanted to be a CEO. And then I started planning my career deliberately from that point. So I knew, for example, that I needed board experience. I knew that I needed to manage bigger budgets. I knew that I needed to sit on the executive team. So I deliberately chose the next roles for those things. And it makes you really confident when you're applying for the job as well. You're saying, do you have this? Because I want that. Do you have this? I need that. <laughs> yeah, that's my two, two biggest, best pieces of advice I've been given. Wow, that's really, um, that's actually fascinating. I've never heard that talk um, from that VP of Engineering at Twitter. I'm going to go, you know, I can't, what was her name? Maria Gutierrez. I'll find it and from, send it to you. Okay. Um, I've never heard that talk from Maria Gutierrez, but it's actually the exact same process. I take clients through, whether they're in my academy or my one-on-one, I'm like, okay, where do you want to be? What do we need to do to get you there? Like, how can we shortcut that? Also, I'm pretty like tough. People know this about me. Whether it's your to-do list, personally, professionally, whatever it is, I'm like, no, no, that doesn't need to be on your to-do nice. list. Sometimes we add things to those, like that career ladder. We're like, oh, I need that. And I'm like, mm, no, you don't. <laughs> um, so I love that approach, but I also like to give us like some tough love. Like, no, you don't need those hundred things. You probably only need 12 of them, like, realistically. It's, it's such a cool piece of advice. I love it. Okay, last book you read. Oh, um... Goodness. So the last book I read was in the Expanse series. So I read a lot. Oh. Um, so I've read book four of the Expanse series. Uh, before that, I read this amazing, um, so that was yesterday I read that one. And then before that, I read this really cool, like, witch romance novel thing, like a rom-com. Uh, the last business book that I read was Running Lean and Sitting Here on My Desk by um, Ash Mayura great guy he he created the lean canvas really, mm. really good i went to a workshop of his and he just blew my mind in terms of how to evaluate whether or not your startup the scale that it could achieve he has a whole framework for that that oh just really excited me but yeah i'm, I'm a big reader i could talk about books for ages <laughs> that's one of the reasons it's in my list is um to ask people is because i read so much and i read fiction non-fiction I've always got like three or four books on the go as well. I'm always looking for good recommendations. So I am going to have to get that witch rom-con from you because that sounds like my cup of tea. Oh, a bit of a rom-com alongside a bit of fantasy. Like what's not to love? So good. <laughs> sounds so good. Um, <laughs> there is a little bit of a nerd in me there. Um, last movie or TV show that you watched? Oh, another good one. So I'm watching Doom Patrol on Stars, and I'm watching the... Um, I just finished Outer Range on Amazon, which was almost Ooh. kind of Lynchian levels of weird, which I really enjoyed. And Doom Patrol is very good oh. as well. It's got, um, it's got Brendan Fraser in it, and I just love him so much. And I love that he's getting a career comeback. And he has a fantastic role in Doom Patrol. So that's why I started watching it. He's really good. I'm going to have to go check out both of those. I've not, I've not heard of either of those, so that'll be interesting. Okay, I'd like to finish up every episode with a mindset moment, something that can help listeners tackle their mindset on the topic of discussion today. So what's your favorite mindset tip to help leaders, women in tech, going through something a bit sticky at work, maybe? 
I think we're often told that we're not allowed to feel about these things. And if you went to a lawyer as well, they would say, you know, let's let's separate the emotion from it and let's just get down to the legal issue. We take a very different take. And I think the mindset that I would encourage anyone to take if they're dealing with something like this is to allow yourself to feel what's happening to you. Let, let that process and then get yourself towards a mindset of okay, how do I start moving these chess pieces to achieve what I want? Mm-hmm. But, but definitely don't suppress your feelings because I see that a lot and we really believe it, Vala. It's not, like, it's so not healthy and it's not how you get the problem solved quickly. Feel what you need to feel and then start thinking about making making moves, basically. Well, thank you. Such words of wisdom. Have you any final thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up today? A final thought from me is around allyship. I We talked about it with discrimination first aid. We talked about it um, with, you know, what Kate and I are trying to achieve. I think it's going to change the world. I think it's training people, helping people learn how to actually lift up, support and advocate for others. I just think it's such an amazing thing that really is just going to shake the ground below us. And there's a book, actually, speaking of books, that I would recommend everyone to read. It's Nova Reed's book, The Good Ally. And I have never seen a better instruction manual for allyship that I would just love everyone to read that book. I am going to look that one up and add it into the show notes. Um, Thank you. I'm going to put that on my list as well. You'll love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I really could genuinely talk to you all day long. I know we've got a lunch date coming up soon. (laughs) Uh, so thank you so much and thank you also on behalf of all my listeners certainly for those of them who are listening to this and resonating with what you've been saying today thank you so much for taking on what you are taking on as an individual as a business as a business owner and a co-founder because what you're doing is so incredibly important and thank you so much for being on the show today it's been an honor thank you so much Tony Listeners, as I said, if you want to go and check out what Danae and her co-founder Kate are doing at Valor, go and check out the show notes. All the links we've been talking about today are in there. And hopefully I will grab a couple of the books as well and put those in there too. But until next time, whatever stage of your career you're in right now, remember to stay on your technician game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Women in Tech podcast.